I'm going to pray. God, I want to thank you for grace and mercy and just I want to thank you for this, this place, God. I was sitting in here this morning and I, and I was just thankful for the blessing that God has, has poured out on us as a community. And Lord, I just want to acknowledge you in that. I want to acknowledge the people that, that work hard to keep it up and clean it and, and people that are involved in all kinds of ministries here. And so Lord, I just, I just want to thank you. Thank you for this blessing that you've given us. And, and I pray, Lord, that we would never forget where we've come from. I pray that we'll never forget where you've brought us to. And this morning, God, I know that I know that we all come here with, with different stuff and in different mindsets and different things on our heart. And Lord, I just pray this morning that your word will minister to each person right where they need to be ministered to. And so... God, this morning I ask the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, so over the last couple weeks, I've been trying to figure out we're done with, oh, thank you, Wes, my bad. We, were, we finished John, the Gospel of John, and I was trying to figure out where to go next. Where, where to kind of move the teaching into a series? I like to study books. I like to kind of go line through line with, uh, through, the, through the whatever book I choose. And I looked, at, I looked at Malachi. We haven't done an Old Testament book in a long time. I looked at Ephesians. I looked at the book of Jonah. I want something short because the Gospel of John was like a marathon of preaching, and, and we got through it. Um, but none of those really resonated with me. Like, it, it didn't land there. I wasn't like, yes, this is where God wants me to go. And so, you know, I, I was praying, and sometimes I think I'm just prayerfully too analytical when it comes to those t- types of things. I'm just trying to figure out, I, I really, I really w- want to see the light come down from heaven and illuminate the pages like, Whoa, oh, this is where the book that I need to, to, you know. But obviously that didn't happen because I don't have the book yet. So, my backup is usually going to the lectionary and seeing what the lectionary has to say, see what the daily office has to say. And so I started reading that, and I found the story in Matthew for last week, unfortunately. And I'm not going to, like, scrap a whole entire sermon. And so I'm using it this week. And, but I do believe it's where God wanted me to go. As I read the story and as I thought about it, I really believe that, that this is where we were to land after ending the Gospel of John. Now, two weeks ago, I was up here, and, and we were talking about God's grace. And we were talking about it in the context of Peter's life. Remember, Peter denies he knows Jesus three times. He's got to be feeling the weight of that. And then, when, when they're on the beach after fishing, Jesus looks at him and he goes, Peter, do you love me? He's my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Follow me. And, 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 and Peter, he's restored. He is restored back to, I don't know if the right word is good graces, but the grace of God came upon him. And then we watched that little video, and, and, they, and they described God's graces, his crazy love for us. 
And it's hard to understand. And it is because this unmerited love that God has for us, for us humans who really don't deserve the love of God, is is upon us. And it's so lavished upon us that he would give his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. That is the love of God. And then we just think about this idea of God's favor upon us, upon his church. We are unfavorable, but because of God's grace given to us, we have found favor in God's eyes. And this is what we wrestled with last week, or two weeks ago. And it was in the context of Peter's life. Peter Peter was restored. Peter was commissioned to live his life for the kingdom of God. Peter was given the grace of God. He stepped out of God's light for just a little while, and God's grace brought him back in. We all know what that feels like in our life, right? We've all stepped out of the light and walked in the darkness for a little while. We've all been that prodigal son or that prodigal daughter who has just kind of walked away trying to do your own thing, and then you come back. And then you come back with with sorrow and brokenness. And it's God's grace that's been given to you and God's grace that you have received. And for Peter, and he was, he was completely restored. Like, like completely restored. There's a story in, in the book of Acts chapter 3 where uh, Peter, he's walking into the temple and there's this lame uh, beggar and he wants some money and Peter looks at him and says, you know what? I don't have any silver or gold for you, but what I do have, I will give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And this guy gets up and he walks. Peter spoke with authority the words of the Spirit. And this guy gets up and he walks. There's another story in the book of Acts where people just want his shadow, Peter's shadow, to be cast on the sick so that they're healed. I would say that he has been restored. I would say that he has been, he's come full circle and he has been reconciled into the graces of God. Peter's story is our story and our story Peter's story, and he has been restored on the outside, and he's been restored on the inside, because remember, the journey toward God is always an inward journey. It's a journey of the soul. It's a journey of the heart, and I, and, and I, and I look at that, that whole end of the chapter of or, um, John 21, and I just think his heart was in the right place. His heart was in the right place. He had a willingness not to use grace as his excuse but he would use grace as his reason to follow Jesus. And so at the end of our discussion two weeks ago, I made this comment, I made this statement. I said, holiness and grace sometimes are a very difficult combination to reconcile together. Sometimes they're hard. There's, there's, there's tension in the idea of holiness and grace, the way that God calls us to live, but yet God's grace Upon us. Now, I love God's grace. If you lift up my shirt, which I I won't do that because I don't want to embarrass the guys with my six pack abs, but if you lifted up my shirt, you would see stamped 100% grace. Okay, maybe I have an ab now, but you know, it's still there. 100% 
grace. I, I need God's unmerited favor because there's nothing I can do in my life to merit his favor. I love it. But it can be a very dangerous thing to some people. It can be a very dangerous trap if it's not understood. Grace is a very comforting thing. But I see too many people use it just to get comfortable. Grace is, it's a restoring thing. But all too often, People use it as an excuse, and they're never restored. After the resurrection of Christ and after Peter's interaction with Jesus, his life was not perfect. In fact, he gets in arguments with Paul, and Paul calls him out, and he, you know, there's, there's, he's just not a perfect guy. He, he, he has his stumblings. He has his failings. He's in continual need of the unmerited favor of God. But his life is marked by a certain way of living. His life is marked by a, a, an attitude of his heart. I would say he lives this life that we call holiness. He lives in this idea of holiness. Every day, all day, he walks in holiness. And Jesus, Jesus is going to talk about it, what it, kind of, what it looks like. And in fact, it's brought up in the context of a dialogue with Peter because at that point, Peter doesn't understand it. Peter does not grasp the concept that God's ways are not our ways and God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And sometimes our journey of faith is hard. And sometimes our journey of faith will cause us to suffer and will cause us trials and tribulation. Yes, don't get me wrong. There's some good things of our faith. There's a lot of good things in our faith, about our faith. But sometimes it's hard. The Jesus way is the best way, but it's not always the easiest way. And anybody that's been following Christ for any amount of time knows it's, it's not always an easy way. And that's, we don't like to talk about that. That doesn't bring people in the door. That doesn't put people in the seats. That doesn't put money in the box back there, which, you know, the box is back there if you want to put some money in. I'm not arguing on that point. But that doesn't make, we like grace. I love grace. But there's a certain, we cannot talk about the grace of God unless we talk about holiness and the life that Jesus calls us to live. Now, this is, this is a difficult teaching for me because it's, there, 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 there is this tension with grace and holiness. It's, it's, it's this twist and tug and pull thing that goes on. So I'm going to ask, I have, I have people here that pray for me in the morning, and, and I'm going to ask if, if you are willing to pray, just as I'm preaching, that, that truly the words of my mouth would honor God. That's, that I would be very clear as I present this idea of holiness this morning. And so if you're willing to do that, thank you very much. Um, you can pray that people's hearts would be open to hear the message. Maybe you got to pray that your heart will be open to hear the message. I'm not sure. But if, if God brings that to mind, please, then feel free to pray. So we're, we're going we're gonna to take this little journey. So here we go. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day, and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. 
Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. All right, we're going to stop there. We've got to flesh this out a little bit. Just a few verses before this, Jesus asks Peter, well, who, who do you say that I am? And Peter tells him, you are the son of the living God. Peter pretty much acknowledges that Jesus is the Messiah. And Peter, Jesus is, I think, I think he would have gave him a fist bump at this point. But we don't see, it's lost in the translation over the years. But Jesus is like, you got it, man. You hit the nail on the head. Blessed are you, Simon, because, you know, man didn't reveal that to you. God himself revealed that to you. And then he goes on to say, on this rock, you're you're the new rock. You are the rock, Pete. And on this rock, I am going to build my church. Could you imagine that feel-good moment in Peter's life? I mean, that has got to be... Jesus just said, you know what? I'm going to build a church on you. I mean, that's got to... He's already kind of an arrogant dude. That has just got to explode his head about this big. He's just like, that's right. He probably turned around and looked at the boys and said, oh, what now, John, huh? Disciple that Jesus loves. He probably pointed at him. And and, and so it's it's this amazing confirmation of who who Peter is. But then, then we get to this conversation. And Jesus, I mean, it happens right after. And Jesus, he's explaining what needs to take place. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer at the hands of the leaders, the religious leaders. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to, they're going to kill me. But don't worry, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to rise from the dead. That's not the end of the story. And this is, this is not some coincidence. This is not some happenstance. This is God's plan from the very beginning. This is God's plan for Jesus. And it's not an easy path for Christ. It's not a feel-good path that Jesus is going to be walking on. But it's the path of the will of God. Jesus puts God's plans in God's will first and everything else falls after that this is a path of not self-preservation but of self-denial this is not protecting himself protecting his best interest trying to make himself look good this is about jesus following what the father would say to him no matter cost and peter is standing in the way Peter rebukes Jesus. You ever rebuke God? Come on, be honest. You're all lying. I mean, I, I've yelled at God before and say, yeah, you know what? No, that's not the way it's going to happen. It never goes well, but I mean, at least I'm honest enough to admit it. Liars. Anyway, so see, maybe, you made me just so frustrated I forgot where I was. But okay, so, so Peter rebukes Jesus. No, that's not going to happen to you. And he's coming at it from a very rational mindset, very human intellectual idea. And we can't blame him for that. He's only human. Peter has a very clear understanding because of his religious tradition of of what the Messiah is supposed to do, who the Messiah is, how the Messiah is going to be treated. The Messiah is the guy that's going to restore Israel and her people to a place of prominence in the world. It's It's a... a uh, military leader. 
And he is going to come in and he is going to take over. He's going to get rid of this Roman oppression. And once again, the people will be free. And Israel will be a free nation. And its people will be a a prominent nation. And And the world will know that they are God's people. But Peter missed the point. Peter, Peter missed the point. The, the authority and the power of Jesus is not what he expected it to be. Something very, very different. The power of Christ comes in humility. The power of Christ comes in, in, in denying himself. The power of Christ is in the cross. It's not in conquest of taking over the Roman Empire. And unless we understand that in our life, that God's ways are not our ways, that God's ways can be difficult sometimes, that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Unless we hold up what's in our heart and in our mind to the light of Christ, we are in danger of missing the same things too. We are in danger of becoming a stumbling block. We are in danger of misreading and misunderstanding it. And to say that Jesus rebukes Peter, (laughs) this is is a verbal spanking by God. God. Get behind me, Satan. I mean, and, 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 and it says that Peter takes him off to the side and says, hey, you know, that, that's not just going to happen. And the way the text is written, Jesus yells so people hear him. Get behind me. You have no idea what you're talking about. You are, you are concentrating. You're looking at this from a human perspective and not God's perspective. He's become a stumbling block. And we too can become a stumbling block if we don't keep the mind of Christ ahead of us all the time. If we don't keep the things of God ahead of us all the time, we can become a stumbling block for other people in our life. We can become a stumbling block to ourselves and the things that God has called us to. And after he spanks Peter, he's going to tell him and tell us what it means to be a disciple. And Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for you to gain the whole world yet forfeit your soul? Or what can you give in exchange for your soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with the angels, and then he will reward everyone according to what they have done. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. This is the the mark of a disciple of Jesus Christ, to deny yourself and to pick up your cross. It's kind of this, it's, it's one idea, it's one flow of thought. To deny yourself means to, to disassociate yourself from uh, from some person or some statement. And what Jesus is asking of us here is that we would begin to disassociate ourselves from our own interests. And that's a hard thing to kind of wrestle with. I have some really good interests that I like to, I like, I, I mean, I have a hobby. Is that wrong? And, and it's, this is not what he's talking about here. And it's a difficult idea to deny ourselves because it's not about not doing something you can't already do. I was watching t- 
TV a, a while ago, and I'm just flipping through the channels, and there was a commercial on for Porsche. And now, and now they, they've gone like Porsche minivan type thing because there's this mom driving in her Porsche, and she picks up the kids at school. I'm really? That's a Porsche. Okay, you don't pick up your kids from school in a Porsche. Well, I guess if you have lots of money, you can. And so, but, but it, it kind of goes on, and the places in North Haven, you know what they said? They told me. I'm sitting there. They actually used the word you, obviously referring to me, that I could lease a Porsche for $999 a month. Hey, wait, wait. Now, let's think about this. I'm already talking to John. Maybe we can like write it off as a church. I mean, I could drive a Porsche, a banana yellow, cool Porsche. I mean, how awesome would that be? Like me, you know, like rolling, like, that's right. Prosperity gospel. Here we go, baby. God wants me to drive a Porsche. Here's the thing. I can't afford that car. Well, I could, but in our house, we've gotten accustomed to like food and electricity and things like that. I can't afford that car. I am not denying myself driving a Porsche. I can't, I can't have one. What Jesus is talking about here, about things that you actually can do, but you choose not to do them because God has asked you and called you to do something different. God has asked you to live for his kingdom. He's asked you to deny yourself that your life and your loyalty would be to Christ before everything and anything else. And this is, this is a difficult idea for us to grasp, that you would be willing to risk everything to follow Jesus. Everything. Not some of the things, not the convenient things. Everything to follow Jesus. Now, most of us here in Cheshire and Southington and Meriden and Prospect, all the towns we come from, we can make the argument that God hasn't really called me to go to some dangerous country, to get into a dangerous ministry, or, or, you know, move my family to the inner city and sell everything. I mean, God hasn't asked me of that. And that's probably true for some of you. The rest of you are just arguing with God, so we'll talk about that later. Um, but, but, but he hasn't really called me to that. Let me tell you what he's called us all to. He's called us to risk or deny some of the comforts that we take for granted every day. He's called us to risk and deny keeping up with the Joneses. Maybe to risk looking bad because, you know what, we're just not going to do that. We're not going to go in that direction. We're not going to fall into that trap. And, and he calls us to risk our time. And, maybe we, and by doing that, we have to give up some of the things that we've grown accustomed to doing pretty much any time we want. I mean, in our culture, we are very used, used, accustomed to doing what we want when we want. Yeah, okay, I can't because I have a job. You know, that doesn't, that doesn't float. We get to do what we want when we want. When I'm hungry, guess what I do? I eat. When I'm thirsty, I get a drink of water from my refrigerator where the, 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 the little cooler thing is because I like filtered water. You know what? When I'm tired, I go to bed. And guess what? I go into the bed. And I have pillows and a comforter and sheets. I love my bed. I mean, a bed is that thing that you miss when you come home from vacation, right? It's like, I can't wait to sleep in my bed. 
I love my bed. And I want some downtime. I, I, can find some, I can find some downtime. I want fast food. I got fast food. When I want fine dining, I got fine dining. I want something in between, maybe a little snack. I got that too. When I want to go on vacation, I can go on vacation. When I want to go somewhere, I get in my car, I start the car, and I drive. See, I've grown very accustomed to doing the things that I want to do when I need to or want to do them. Is God asking me to deny myself some of the time when I want leisure time, when I want hobby time, when I want time with Sandy, when I want time with my kids, when I want time at the church? I, I choose to do all of those things. So I really understand what it means to practice denying myself. I'm not, I'm not sure I do. Okay, let's talk about something that nobody likes to talk about. It's going to make some people uncomfortable. That's okay. I need a sip of water for this one. It said that statistically, 9% of all Christians in America, only 9% of all Christians in America tithe to the kingdom of God. That means that only 9% of all the Christians in America actually give 10% of their income to the kingdom of God. And now that tithe, that 10% is, a, is an Old Testament idea. And in the New Testament, I believe that Jesus calls us to radical generosity. 9%. Now in America, there are about 2,154,000 non-denominational evangelical Christians. There's about 2,300,000. Uh, 154,000 non-denominational us. So at 9%, that means about 247,000 Christians actually give sacrificially to the kingdom of God. If you're under 35, that statistic of 9% drops to about 2%. What would happen I mean, the same, the same uh, poll said that 76% of Americans believe they are Christian. All of the denominations all tied in. Let's not judge who's in, who's out. But what if, what if every Christian was able to give sacrificially to the kingdom of God? What would our world look like? What would hunger in the world look like? What would our inner cities look like? But that would mean that we would have to deny ourselves some of the comforts that we've grown very accustomed to, to having and to using. And what if we tithed our time? What if we gave generously, generously of our time? What would mentoring programs look like? What would the illiteracy rate in America, would it decline? What would, could you imagine ministries and nonprofit agencies saying, I'm sorry, we, we have no use for any more volunteers because we have all the volunteers that we need. If the church actually tithed their time, 10% of your waking hours, figure it out, it's not a lot to the kingdom of God. But that would mean that people would have to deny themselves some of the comforts that they have and they've grown accustomed to. I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting idea, isn't it? It's, a, it's an interesting thought to wrestle with, to, to kind of look into your own life and say, am I answering the call of discipleship? To deny myself? I mean, we do live in a culture, and we have certain things in this culture that we have to take part in, and, and there's certain things that, you know, we don't have good public transportation, so you need a car. I understand that. But have you ever really examined your own life and, and said, am I following Christ in this way? 
And then he says, well, you know, pick up your cross. Oh, my goodness. Pick up your cross. Wait, i got to deny myself and pick up my cross? You know, in, in evangelical Christianity, we've grown very accustomed to this idea and this word of the cross. We wear it around our neck. We got it on the back of our cars. We have, somebody even told me I have one tattooed on my back somewhere. I mean, we've grown very accustomed. We have a big cross over here. And it's just lost its punch. It's lost its, its, its dynamic sense of what the cross really is. Back in Jesus' day, the cross was the ultimate punishment, the cruelest way that you can die. And can you imagine what the hearers of, of what Jesus was speaking, what they must have thought? He's asking us to pick up our cross and follow him, pick up a cross, a mode of transportation, or mode of transportation, of, uh, <laughs> of, of, of torture and death. He wants us to pick that up and follow him. And not only that, it was, it was not only just this horrific way to die, but it was, it was very shameful. It was disgraceful. And that disgrace didn't start when you were stripped naked and nailed to it. It started when you had to carry your cross through the street. And there'd be people laughing at you, and spitting at you, and kicking you, and throwing rocks at you. If you're a family member, if they ever, if they were to be crucified, it was just this, this shameful thing that was brought upon your family. I mean, the only thing I can liken it to t- today is, is if, is if as, a, as a parent, you found out you know, that one of your kids became a Red Sox fan. I mean, that's the only thing that, that, that we could liken it to. I know. I, I, see? I mean, things are falling apart. I mean, yeah. But we've lost what the cross means. Jesus has not given us some methodology to grow a church. Jesus has not given us a feel-good message here. He's calling us into a place of denying ourselves. He's calling us into a place of shame. He's calling us into a place of, of giving up and of suffering. Now, see, I told you, this, this is not easy. This is not a feel-good message. And guess what? I've had to not feel good for two weeks thinking about this. You're just getting it this morning. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever will lose their life for Jesus' sake, will save it, will have life, real life, spiritual life. What good is it? What good is it if you get everything the world has to offer and you lose your soul in the process? What what good is it? If you focus and the bigger, and the better, and the more, if that's the priority in your life, if that's what drives you, if that's what puts your feet on the ground in the morning, you may come out on top in this world. You may have it all. You may have the big house and the nice Porsche, yellow, picking up your kids at school. You're in danger of losing something very precious to you. You're in danger of losing your soul danger of losing your soul. Jesus Jesus calls us to this journey of the cross. And it's a journey that he took. He's not asking us to do something that he has not already done, that he has not already modeled for us. He's asking us, are you willing to deny yourself? Are you willing to give up some stuff for my kingdom? Are you willing to follow me? Are you willing to pick up your cross? 
and follow me? And so now you might be asking yourself, what does this got to do with holiness and grace? I love when you ask good questions. It's a good question. Holiness is about being separate. It's about being different. And in the context of our faith journey, it's about the followers of Jesus living in a different rhythm, in a different harmony. It's about the followers of Jesus living in God's harmony, in God's rhythm. You know, too often we make holiness out to be this thing that's unattainable. It's only for the pastor. It's only for the priest. It's only for the monastic. It's only for those people. I mean, I'm just a simple person, and I can't, I can't live a holy life. But if you strip it down to its very core, do you know what holiness really is? Do you know what it is? Listen to me. This is what holiness is. A recognition in your heart that it's not about you, but it's always about Jesus. That's it. That's what holiness is at its, at its foundation. It's not about you. It's always about Jesus. It's not about you. It's always about Jesus. Holiness begins to ask the question of, how do I honor God? I mean, how do I really honor God? It asks the question of, how do, how do I stop always getting and taking, and how do I begin to give away? It, it asks, how can I serve others and stop serving myself? How can I make the world a better place and then actually do something about it? How can I make my town better? How can I make my community better? How can I honor God at my job? How can I honor God in my marriage? How can I honor God in that dating relationship? That's the beginning of holiness. Those are the questions they ask. How can I honor my parents? How can I honor my children? How can I love them the way Christ has called me to love them? Holiness says that I will choose to live my life differently. I will choose to love differently. I will choose to speak differently. I will choose to make different priorities in my life that don't match up to what the world thinks, but what God thinks. Holiness just says, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. Now, stay with me here. Jesus walks this painful road of the cross and of self-denial, and he has called us to do the same. And that road of the cross and of denying ourselves to be his disciple is the road to holiness. And we do not ask those questions so that we can gain God's favor. We do not ask those questions so that we can get God to love us more. We don't ask those questions and live in holiness so that, so that God will finally like me again and smile. No, 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 no. See, you've missed the point. Holiness is our response to the love of God that you already have. Holiness is our response to the grace of God in your life. If you do not understand grace, then there is no way for you to walk in the holiness that God has called you to walk in. 
We don't try to get in favor with God. It's the grace of God that we already have his favor. And that produces in us a desire to live the life that he calls us to. It's our response to the gospel. You see, it's, 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 not, it's not this works mentality trying to get into gain. It's the idea of being still. Know that he's God. And letting your life begin to reflect that truth. Holiness is our response to grace. It's not our desire to get God's grace. God's unmerited favor should cause in each follower of Christ a deep down desire to love God. And, and to love God, we have to, I mean, we're called to love Jesus. And if we love Jesus, we're called to follow him. That's grace of God on each believer's life. Listen, stop trying. Get it. Accept it. Begin to live it. Wow, I just coined that. We're going to put that on a t-shirt. That's good. Stop trying to, to achieve it. Accept what God has given you and begin to live it. A life that is lost for the sake of Jesus Christ the life is truly this morning as we celebrate communion you're all going to just you're going to kind of you're going to walk up here and you're going to take these elements and our our faith is a journey and let this just kind of be a symbol of you beginning to journey in the life that God has called you to live not because you're trying to earn favor with your dad. Because you already have his favor. That's calling you to live the life that you know you want to live. You know that you should be living. Let, let that grace just kind of free you and move in you and inspire you. Let it, let it, let it quicken and ignite your affections for the things of God. Let, 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 the, let the walk up here be a time of reflection. And as you come under these lights, sometimes I sit in here, I sit over there in the, and I spend time in here and I pray. And sometimes the way that light focuses on that seat, it's just this symbol of the, the light of God coming upon me, the spirit of the Lord. Let, let each light that you may walk under, let that just be the symbol of the spirit of God releasing you from the mentality that you're not good enough, that you have to do more, that you have to be better. Let the grace of God soak into your heart that it can inspire in you the life of holiness. You're never going to be perfect. That's okay. Because holiness is really about a heart condition. It's a desire. What's your desire? What's your desire? Is it the things of God or is it the things of you? And so as you are ready, you can come and take the elements and sit back down and we will take them, we'll take them together.